bam and there's a good chance i put some dramatic music underneath that <laughs> gotta dream big you know gotta do that visualizing your comedy life what advice would you give get out there and start failing if you don't ever get out there and take those chances then you won't ever get closer to whatever this kind of slightly intangible idea mm-hmm. is of what that dream is. We have to rebrand failure. It's like you were saying about, oh my God, the worst thing in the world is imagining doing stand-up. I think it's most people's biggest fears. We need to become more okay with humiliation and embarrassment because it only makes you get stronger and fight harder. You're listening to Mr. Winter. Hello, I'm Mr. Winter, and this is People Do Fun Jobs, my podcast all about finding inspiring people, doing fun things, and hearing how they do what they do. You can watch People Do Fun Jobs on YouTube, you can listen to it and download it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. My guest is a comedian, improviser, writer, and award-winning songwriter. She's written five solo musical comedy shows, one of which was nominated for Best Comedy at Fringe World. She's written for BBC Radio 4's The Now Show, and the actual Michael Palin has been quoted to say she's talented, bright and funny and predicts her great future for her. So please welcome to the People Do Fun Jobs podcast, Tama Broadbent. Hi. Hello. That was a long intro. (laughs) Sorry about that. No, I loved it. It was great. (laughs) So you class yourself as a comedian, improviser, writer and songwriter. Is there one that you feel represents you best? I've been thinking about this a lot because I've just redone all my social media blurbs and I went to a big marketing or business conference type thing where they said what's in vogue at the moment is having a pithy sentence to describe yourself as opposed to bullet points. And I've always just had about seven bullet points because I do loads of different things. So I like comedy scripts, emceeing, hosting, improv, writing and people apparently like they just prefer it if you're like I'm the blonde haired creative lady so I go with writer and performer with big fluffy hair that's my new pithy sentence (laughs) with big fluffy hair yeah I like that and it's very true (laughs) how do you describe your comedy it depends what what it is really I've been doing improv a lot for the last couple of years so long form improv characters game fun scenes my stand-up is often based on my real experiences in life, as is my musical comedy, uh, or it has been over the years. Um, I was single for a lot of my 20s and I would write a lot of songs about being single. So things like Walks of Shame, worrying about having a shaved minge. (laughs) (laughs) But then also to things like hipsters and the Backstreet Boys and, you know, all kinds of things like that. And then my most recent show, the comedy is from... It's like a show inspired by thrill, a thriller comedy strong female lead character. So there, the humour I think comes from it's like very deadpan, very serious, like parodies elements of crime dramas that we all really love. I Honestly, I, I think I have an eclectic taste and I like to write um, whatever I feel like on any given day. I mean, is that changing as you evolve in your comedy and as you do try different things? Are you finding you, you prefer... Cause Going back, I saw you at Edinburgh Fringe a couple of years ago now. That was very much singing and storytelling and very rude singing <laughs> and very rude storytelling. Um, it's very, very entertaining. I saw you earlier this year uh, perform the show you're just talking about, Stacey Solo, which is this one woman show. And those are very, very different. What, what are you enjoying more now? I think that any writer, any creative will change 
uh, the output will change with your own life. So what I was writing when I was 22 is going to be very different to what I was writing when I was 29. Right. I think that as a writer, I have matured in certain ways. In other ways, maybe I've immatured or I, you know, have become willing to try crazier things, more drastic things, take more risks. I think maybe that's where I am right now is in the taking risk stage. I've like had a couple of ideas and thought, oh, that's wild, but let's just give it a go. And they've been some, you know, some of my favorite projects that I've ever worked on. And that's very exciting. Yeah, it's so it's so exciting. And I don't know whether it's a freedom of like having 30 around the corner. I, I really like think that life gets better with each year obviously until the end <laughs> but for now I feel just more confident with every year and so my solo musical comedy shows I'm still really proud of them but I've yeah moved in a slightly different direction now I suppose where I'm trying more character-based stuff and it's only exciting uh, I think as an artist you have to always be evolving and trying new things and yet having said that there are some things that have always stayed the same in me like I still if it makes me laugh when I'm writing it, then I think it's funny and I give it a go. I really trust my own instincts in that sense and always have and then bring it to an audience and see how they feel. That's a massively interesting point. It's got to make you laugh before anyone, surely. Absolutely. And then do you test it on on, on your friends or family or, or romantic endeavours? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I used to. I, I used to test a lot of my material on my mum, funnily enough, because we have very sen- similar senses of humour. The na- more... naughty sense of humour then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had some of the songs like she was a big fan of and like I do have a very big... I, I kind of have fans of all ages with my musical comedy. With more recently, I've made a point of spending more time developing it and being confident in the idea, working on the idea before I then bring it in front of an audience. So with Stacey Solo, I had such a strong, clear idea of what I wanted it to be. And the first couple of times I told people, they were like, okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I want to do the show where I play every single character and it's a whole thriller and it's like a Netflix crime drama. And they just looked at me like, why? <laughs> I was like, but I know that it's a great idea. And so I'm not... Uh, and that made me just want to really develop it on the page and as a whole piece before I put it in front of people. And now, and it was so great. Like it was more than I could have hoped for in terms of response, just as the first time of getting it in front of people. And and I think, again, that's trusting your instincts and really having a vision and not allowing other people to dictate what the vision is, which is too easily done in comedy because often you respond to what people are laughing at and then yes. you do more of that. So does that tie into your now taking more risks? Do you think you've gained confidence in actually not caring about what other people think so much before it's even landed? I would I would love to say that I to say that that's true, but I think as a performer, especially as a comedic performer, I think it's very difficult to not care at all what people think I was talking to a friend about this the other day actually where comedy is the only art form really where you immediately know if it's working or not because people are either laughing at what you're doing so either funny or it's not funny yeah, yeah or it's silent and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a good show it just means maybe that wasn't a successful performance of it or outing of it but like you don't get that in a in a serious play you know because if people are silent in a serious play they might be loving it or they might often like be hating it maybe if it's like a too serious a play or whatever or another boring Shakespeare revamp that no one wants to see <laughs> but I I do care 
I do care what people think. I especially care what my fans think, what my followers think. I just want to be, you know, entertaining them and giving them a good show to come out to see. I feel so grateful that people have left the house to come and see a show that I'm doing. Uh, but at the same time, I think you have to have a confidence in yourself that says, I know that this show is good and I want to put it in front of you. And if some of you don't like it, I, I guess that means it's not for you. But it doesn't mean that... I don't have something really special here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So tell us about Stacey Solo. I saw this show. This is a one woman show. What I loved about it was you surprised me with your talent. And it's obviously, you know, you, I'm saying that, I mean that entirely when I say that. Because when I saw you at Edinburgh Fringe, it was storytelling and songs, which was which was a ridiculously funny show. This though, you're, it, I, was, I was surprised at your acting ability, if I'm honest, because... It was more than just delivering a joke or doing a funny song, which I'm not undermining at all. Is I'm sure that's very difficult. But you, you're a really good actress. You actually, you know, you, you really displayed that well. Thanks. I'm, I'm meaning to say this in the least patronising <laughs> way possible. No, I love it. And I think you raise a really good point, uh, which is that sometimes, you know, you just, unless unless you see for definite, you don't necessarily know what people can do. And I think, like, storytelling has always been a big part of my creativity and performance like my songs always have stories in them and I love storytelling and Stacey Solo essentially is like a huge story it's just that in this particular story I I do push the acting and it's like I am that character and then I am a variety of different characters and I love doing that because when I left I went to drama school for a year after studying English at university and I have always loved acting but then I went straight into kind of stand-up and performing comedy and I mean, I would argue that in a way, stand up is acting as well, because you're saying the same thing over and over again. You have to do it with a spontaneity as if it's the first time, which is a really tough type of acting and performance. But yeah, so then in this show, I really wanted it to be very committed. I love kind of committed character and, and long form improv. And I wanted to like the show is ludicrous in so many ways. It's very <laughs> absurd. But I feel like giving it weight makes it matter and makes people buy into you it. You did give it weight. There were so many layers to it. In in parts, it was a little bit emotional, in you know, in ways. It obviously delivered in a humorous way, but you kind of latch onto these characters and you're like... And it's just, it's just incredible as an audience member to see all of that happening from one person. You had a lot to remember as well. Yeah. A lot of talking. So much remember. So there's a the story to it is like Stacey Solo is a detective. Yes. And she had there's a woman who comes into the station who doesn't have a voice and she stops a kid on the road who's got some mysterious initials and then the whole show is basically her going through the investigation to try and find out what it is whilst and the undertone of it is like she's struggling with her personal relationships in her life like strong female lead characters apparently do in so many shows that we see because you know it's because it's hard to like be successful and strong and yet also be like have emotional as a woman and that's like what inspired it for me and I thought really those emotional moments are some of my favorites like the relationship with her own son and the friendships and like parental figures I really love shows that entertain me and make me laugh, but also have a bit of heart to them. And mm. so that was really important to me when I was writing it. Yeah. And you delivered it really beautifully. Who do you, who are you inspired by? I, I don't really want to do the whole, you're a lady in comedy thing. I think that conversation's happened. I think mm. we've heard that before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What, what, what kind of gets you inspired? 
I wouldn't be able to label anyone in particular, honestly. Like there's, I have a lot of comedians that I love watching, male, female, mm-hmm. gender fluid, lot, you know, lots of place in between. Mm-hmm. And also like outside of the art form, I like Buffy the Vampire Slayer as much, is as much of an influence to me as the makers of South Park were when I was growing up on South Park. Also sitcoms, you know, all different places where you where there's art that you like or entertainment that you like. Music is a huge inspiration to me. Fallout Boy. I just love <laughs> Fallout Boy. I don't really do anything Fallout Boy-esque in my art. But I love them. And you know, maybe there's a chord structure here and there that's Fallout Boy-esque. But I think when we're asked about influences, uh, as an artist, I I think, yeah, I just wouldn't be able to name a comedian who I'm like. If anything, I think there's a bit of so many different types of things that even like my year nine maths teacher. Right, okay. <laughs> I still remember her. She was she had such, you know, she was a ballsy woman or a, a flapsy woman, if you want to go for the... <laughs> <laughs> the Tamas version. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> there was a conclusion and then I was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to let it fade out instead. Did you start doing all of this by doing stand-up comedy? Is that where it began for you? Or how it began? I think so, yeah. Well, I creatively, I mean, obviously you've been in youth drama groups always. Yes. At university, I wrote a musical for the first time and then went to drama school, left drama school, um, was the first time of being out of an institution and was just very aware that, oh my God, this is what life is. You know, there's no one asking you to go anywhere any day. And this is such an obscure career. I don't even know where on earth to begin. Yeah. And I'm not the kind of person who can just kind of wait for someone to to do something. And I also had an awareness, awareness that that wasn't going to happen. I wasn't just suddenly going to get a call and be like, hey, you want to come and be in this musical or this film? And the easiest thing I could actively start doing was go and get up on stage in the comedy circuit because there's always comedy shows everywhere yeah. every city and everywhere yeah every city every town in England has a has a gig on and I could go up physically get in front of people and make people laugh and just start learning and that was yeah everything inspired from there so yeah I've always loved comedy I, me and my dad have always gone to see stand-up comedians over the years it's just I absolutely love it but one of my worst nightmares in my head is to get up on stage and perform perform a, a stand-up you know skit it, it scares the life out of me do you remember your first time getting on stage and doing that i do yeah the first <laughs> Take one is us there. <laughs> the first one is invariably brilliant i think you'll it's quite a common thing to say everyone has a wonderful first gig and then the second gig will be like the hardest thing you've ever done because really yeah there's so for my is it because you're wait are you waiting for those laughs again then I guess it's the first taste of what a comedy career is, which is just like a whole huge, endless journey of you You are very successful one day and the next day it's just different every day. And you inevitably you do get stronger over the years, of course. Like I remember hearing an American comedian say very early on, if you think you're good before 10 years, then you're wrong. You're just wrong. Like until you've been doing stand up for 10 years, you cannot possibly call yourself good because it's <laughs> there's so much 
you have to learn so much that you have to learn that you can't even really explain. But my first gig was great. It was I applied, replied to a tweet from Funny Women Brighton. It was like, hey, we got a 10. Anyone want to come and do it? And I just full on blagged it and was like, yeah, I've got a 10 minute comedy set. And then she was like, great, you're booked. And then I wrote a 10 minute comedy set, went down, did a, like three songs. And it was great. Everyone laughed at everything. It was the best time of my life. And then the second gig I did was in a pub somewhere in London and no one laughed at anything I said and then I went to Weatherspoons afterwards and I had a pie and I cried into the pie <laughs> worst pie you ever I had I to pie I was like they hated me everyone <laughs> hated me um, but how the hell do you how the hell do you bounce back from that and try again again another like endless constant battle or learning curve that you just get better at with time yeah. it's like you comedy is utterly humiliating uh, but it's also like the best thing in the world ever. Yeah. When when you can share a connection with the audience, they like it, it's wonderful. When you die in front of people, it is hard. Like there's no two ways around it. You have to have this wonderful combination of being like vulner- vulnerable enough to connect with people and keep doing it and not so hardened that you are, are not sensitive to the audience because you still do have to entertain an audience, but you also have to be fucking strong and you know really believe in yourself so that if you do have hard times you can say well no I'll just get back up and I try again and how do you know what to write about then where, where do the ideas come from where the where do the jokes come from are you paying attention to trends of what's happening on the comedy circuit or on telly and what people are talking about and doing or, or is it all just you and what you're what you want to say mostly from within I would say but you you do, I think, have to have a general knowledge of what's happening in the industry, especially in because I do a lot of improv and they say as an improviser, you should know a little bit about everything. So you don't have to be an expert in anything, but it's good to be smart and well informed in, you know, in everyday comedy life in, any, in anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> read, guys. Yeah, just yeah. read some articles. <laughs> Although I had to delete BBC News because it just made me sad every day. Everything's really sad. I but you should know. You know what? I don't. I don't watch the news anymore. I, I think the last time was about two weeks ago. I watched it and I was left depressed. It's so sad. But it's so sad. It's a scary world, but that's why we need comedy. It's the reality, but that's mm. where people like you come in. Who was I watching recently? It was Billy Connolly. He was because he's he's getting getting on now, but he was reflecting, and I think he was talking about nine eleven and going out. I think possibly in New York or something, and somewhere in America, and doing a show very soon after, and going and people were going, should he do the show because it's a very fragile time. I think it's possibly that week. I don't know. And he was like, well, do you know what? This is the time that pe- people need this. This is this is when people like us, it's our job to stand up and actually, you know, get everyone together and mm. relax and have a bit of a laugh, really, yeah. to state the obvious. Yeah, I think... Uh, it's, it's a really poignant thing he said, really. God, absolutely. Even in our individual personal lives, I think... It's, I mean, obviously, we have a British thing of, like, stiff upper lip, just get on with it. But I think another very British thing is... You know, what can you do but laugh? Yeah. That's definitely always been a thing in my family of laughing through the hard times, making jokes in the tough times. And mm-hmm. all my time we just did that thing again where I'm scared it got heard on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's that sensitive. We're okay. okay. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think you I think you have to know what's going on in the world. But I don't try and I don't I don't try and be anything. I'm just trying to be me and do what I think is funny because I think that 
if I think it's funny, other people will think it's funny who have similar sense of humor to me. I think the worst mistake you can make is to try and be what you think an audience wants. Yes. I, I don't think... Uh, you, and you can apply that to everything. I like, think I think you can apply that to everything, music, and you know, you, you've got to just—it's got to come from you. Absolutely, because if you have the passion in it, other people will be drawn to that. I think. And what do you enjoy most about what you do? Is it—is it the joy that you're bringing to people? <laughs> it sounds really cheesy. <laughs> 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 it's putting true, putting smiles it? on people's faces. You know, <laughs> what's the biggest joy that you get from doing your job Ooh. or jobs? You, you you know, a lot of sides to you. I think absolutely the feeling of entertaining people both making people happy by performing and the feeling of joy that i get as well from performing something for them how how much of it's showing off <laughs> <laughs> probably a probably a good healthy bit of it yeah. i'd say yeah. i think to be a performer you have to be a bit of a show off mm -hmm. i think anyone who's on stage is there because they really want to be there mm -hmm. You have to really want to be there because it is so terrifying to do it that why the fuck would you do it otherwise? Do you, still, do you get nervous still before you go out? My nerves have changed over the years. I've like, and it's so, in, it is a really interesting subject as a performer because I think, I don't believe it ever really truly goes away if you care about the performance that you're doing. But I am much more confident than I was seven years ago in situations like just getting up in front of people and doing something. Like I do, I've been put into a lot of situations now where I don't know what's going to happen. So with improv, you know, you never know what's going to happen on stage and then you get up and you just confidently go for it. And so I I feel brave, but I definitely still get nervous. Yeah. You must relax. Better at hiding it. <laughs> yes. Mr. Winter. Let's talk about your improv because you spent some time in Amsterdam. I did. Quite some time. Yeah, tell me everything about that. I started learning it in London in 2015. And you mentioned acting. Yes. And I, I missed, like, acting. And what's really fun about improv is, is it's scenic. So you can be a character and do scenes and you build worlds. Slightly different to the stand-up that I was doing. These people came to do auditions for something called Boom Chicago. And I had never heard of it before. It's an American improv theatre that two American guys from the Chicago improv world started 25 years ago, back in the 90s. And they did it in Amsterdam. And, you know, it just became a smash hit success. It's a huge theatre. You do like five shows a week. It's a full-time paid job performing comedy, which I never had before. You know, you have to really... London's a place where, you know, you build your career or like the tiny little bits of it. Mm -hmm. This was just comedy in one place. Um, earning a living, which was just super exciting for me as a 27 year old I think I was when I went and yeah and so I was out there for two years they've had like amazing people go through their doors they've had people like Seth Meyers and Amber Ruffin and Kay Cannon who wrote all the perfect pitch films like a lot of really big US improvisers have have been through there and then been back to LA and New York is that right is that, so Seth, someone like Seth Meyers I really look up to I, the chat show is the dream for me so oh, I, yeah. absolutely so seeing seeing yes that, that's interesting that he's taken that route a lot of them do take comedy routes but, yeah well it's uh, just like a crazy boot camp because you have to learn to be so quick and you know come up with gags instantly whether it's like scenic and long form or whether it's like more short form games like jokes about the news or whatever it is you've just got to learn to be really sharp so how much learning did you do before you're actually on stage and having to improv for a living 
I took four classes in London, which was learning an improv structure called the Herald, which is what everyone does when they learn long form improv, you know, in Chicago, New York, wherever you are. I was performing for a while with a team called my brother Jose, which was my house team. And then literally they just came into the auditions and the way that the job works is very much you get hired and then you get on stage and you just do it. You're just you just get on with it so I did like musical improv for the first time in front of a live audience you just learn and I guess this goes back to the confidence thing as well is I've done so many things now where it was like just go up and do it and learn by by doing it no kind of like worrying about it no second guessing you just get up and start trying but it seems like something that must it it seems quite technical in my where I'm sat is is it is it it, are there a lot of tricks to learn because you've got to (laughs) it's very much stating the obvious but you've got to think quickly you know you've got to react very quickly do you have a memory bank of reactions to to the audience and what they might say or how how does improv actually work I guess is what I'm asking (laughs) yeah oh it is an art form so when you learn level one you will learn the basics of improv which I mean in very basic terms is just like listening and then yes and so if you said the first line in a scene like oh welcome to this fish shop I see that your husband's not with you today Mrs Baker or whatever it was then I'd be like oh great okay so I'm Mrs Baker my husband's not with me today and we're in a fish shop so I've listened to you and that's now the truth of our world and then I have to say something that just continues to build the truth of that world (laughs) so the most basic rule I guess in improv is is to not deny so I wouldn't be like what are you talking about this isn't a fish shop and I'm not Mrs Baker (laughs) that's like that's the one big no-no in improv and then it's just all about building and le- and then everything just le- you learn from there so of course there's a training school that you go through and then after you've learned all the rules there are no rules really <laughs> it's one of those things is, is yeah. that where your personality comes into it and your your comedy comes into it absolutely each individual improviser is their own person but we all understand what the rules of improv are. When we watched you uh, doing Stacey solo, your audience interaction was just so great. Oh, just to paint it, paint a picture. You were you had your hands tied on a chair, <laughs> to the back of a chair, and you asked Dan. I think it was. I remember his name. <laughs> yeah. He came up. Uh, He's on the front row. So and that's my number one rule when I go to watch comedy: don't sit on that front row. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you will be I mean, asked to be involved. Ripped yeah. apart in the past. <laughs> so yeah, you called him up to untie you um, <laughs> but uh, got him on his knees because actually there were lasers in <laughs> the way there were lasers so, so funny so knees. funny it's a double knot Dan <laughs> it's a double knot you know you're really good with the audience Thanks. do you love that part of it I do yeah yeah I love it it really it breaks that fourth wall down when you're sat there and you suddenly you know the mic turns towards us it's like oh okay we're we're part of this now I think it's so special so again like back to the whole what's the joy of doing it in front of people is if you have a love of live theatre live performance it's you know it it's just so special and when you go and see a show I've been in the audience thinking this and I've been on stage thinking this there's a part of you that's like I want to be at that one show where I saw the thing that I'm going to tell people about and people are going to be so sad that they missed out on that moment yeah and I think especially with audience interaction those are like the re- some really unique moments that only happen in individual shows. He was just so great. And all the people who kind of have done that in the show have been really wonderful and up for it. Because and- sometimes I think, uh, have these guys been planted here? Because it, it's just too 
it's too good in a way but then you trace back to you you specifically your experience you've done two years of improv as a job as a full-time job you're like well no this is this is real this is just funny and happening now and also if you I think if you were on the other side of it you'd realize how plants would just be so much harder and also probably worse yeah it would just be worse I think people would suss you you out they would like you don't get the spontaneity it's that that's special Mm. but the only time I've seen a show where they've like done a plant and I've seen it work is One Man Two Governors where they they have someone in the audience who's actually an actor if anything I think it makes you feel a bit cheated when you know that towards the end but it often happens to me with musical improv whenever people see me improvise a song or they see me improvise a rap people just don't believe it really yeah it's like people have such trouble thinking you know, but oh, but that must have been pre-planned. And I'm like, how could it have been pre-planned? Like, this man, I just pulled this man out of the audience and asked him some questions and then did a rap based on it. Like, <laughs> how could I possibly have pre-written that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, of course it's improvised. And, um, but that's special as well, I guess, that people are just kind of, it's so out, it's so unusual. It's such an unusual skill yeah, thing yeah, to yeah. do. Well, that's why they paid money to come and see a professional do it. Yeah. So how was Amsterdam? What what are the Dutch audience like? Are they, or, or did you actually, is it quite a touristy attraction that? It's a bit of both, to be honest. It was really international. It was so amazing living in Europe for a bit. I loved living in Amsterdam. I've never lived outside of England previously. And it, I I am like forever changed for having lived away for a bit really? and come back. In yeah. what way? Again, it's like I couldn't I couldn't bullet point it, but I feel a lot more just aware that, uh, you know, the world exists, that there are people living in cities, having totally different lives, loving their lives. Um, I think London's quite a bubble and sometimes you can think, oh, oh God, if I'm not in London, then I'm not making it. It's not or, happening. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so not true. There's a par- parallel city somewhere else. Yeah, where mm. you are enjoying another cafe or like another group of friends and I just loved that I loved having my mind opened I loved living in amongst a different culture and the humor as well taught me so much you learn very quickly what's funny uniquely to English people so like references to slough or (laughs) or (laughs) that just makes me think of the office but yeah. (laughs) yeah exactly or just any kind of regional thing like any regional accent really that kind of has connotations of characters that we've seen in sitcoms or you know or in eastenders or whatever it is that just goes completely like that doesn't exist when you go to an international international audience mm-hmm. and then what becomes richer and more interesting is just human experience so there are things that are universally funny and i think that's only improved me as a comedic performer to learn what is you know applicable to more humans yeah and what's like just a reference that somebody's not Mm going to get well that sounds amazing you've obviously taken a lot away from that what is fringe world like so fringe world is in perth in australia yes oh it was such a fun experience it was 2017 that i went and did it like edinburgh or like anywhere else not as big as edinburgh but you go and there's Again, for a month, lots of wonderful artists doing shows. I I did it for much shorter. I did it for only a week, I think. So it's not like Edinburgh where you do it every day for a month. But you get to go and do it, perform to, again, a complete new audience and be in the close proximity of some of the best beaches in the Southern Hemisphere. So I just totally self-produced over there, took my show over. It's not a place to go to 
to get famous or to get on TV or anything. But if you are an artist, an artist, (laughs) if you're an artist with a show that you want to tour, it's so wonderful to go and do those festivals, especially to get new audiences and work the show in. And do you, do you see much of what's going on over there as well? Do you get to see, oh, here's the Australian comedy circuit. Well, this is what this looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, there's so many brilliant Australian comedians who uh, often many of them come to Edinburgh as well or some of them have gone to America. But yeah, there's a really rich pool of talent over there and it's great to see all those shows too. You were nominated for an award over there as well, weren't you? I was, yeah. I was yeah. nominated for the best show there, which is really cool. What is Edinburgh Fringe like? I mean, as as a, a person going to experience it, it is so much fun. Literally non-stop entertainment everywhere you look. But what's it like being a performer there? Because you, you're like working hard. You're really putting bums on seats for your show, right? That's, mm-hmm. is, that, is that half the... Half the work is actually publicising yourself and getting people to your show. Oh boy. Like if I was describing Edinburgh to somebody who's never done Edinburgh before before and is about to do Edinburgh or is going to do Edinburgh at some point in the future, I would say you have to know that it's hard work and it's expensive. So like have all the dreams and have all the passion and the excitement, but it's going to be hard and it's going to cost a lot of money. Um, That's really taking the romance out of it. But I, it's I the think reality. like yeah, you just I've what I've learned over seven years of doing it. Is I wish I knew some done, of it. You've done it for seven years. Oh my goodness! Seven years, yeah. Wow. It's and before you do it, it, you just can't learn about Edinburgh until you are there. Like I would, young me, before my first year, if I was going to go back and find young me and advise on what to do, I'd say go up and do gigs one year. Don't do a show just so you can learn what everything is, what the different venues are how much things are, why time slots matter, where mm. footfall is, all of these things. Because then when you do do a show, you pay a lot of money for a venue. If it's a paid venue, you're going to want to pay money for marketing. You're going to be flyering your own show. You're going to have to know people to get slots in their gigs so you can try and promote your own show. I spent a good two, three years doing free fringe, which is where you don't pay for venue costs, but you do a collection bucket at the end. And that's been a really wonderful way for young performers to kind of learn their craft and start taking shows. That's good. It's really, really good what it's done. Why is it so important to do it? Why do you why do you go back seven <laughs> times and, and probably you're gonna keep doing it? Why why does it matter? I mean this answer will be different depending on which day of the fringe you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> We're clear of it at the moment. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think I did it in the early stages because I thought I just had to. Mm -hmm. And it's another thing a bit like that London feeling of, oh, God, I can't stop doing this. I can't be off the map because I'll miss an opportunity and something won't, you know, I I, I need to be there. I need to be where the party is. But again, (laughs) moving to Amsterdam for a couple of years and coming back. And I didn't do Edinburgh in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that I didn't because my perspective has totally shifted. I don't think you have to be there every year. Okay. I think the fringe is changing in a way. Like the Vault Festival in London is getting a lot bigger. A lot of what people want to get from Edinburgh is to get industry in or get touring. And if there's a place where you can do that that's not Edinburgh, then do it. Yeah. Also, how how expensive it is makes it impossible for some artists. And also you know, sometimes it just bankrupts you. I know people who make jokes a lot of the time about like, oh, I've just paid off Edinburgh 2014. Oh, Jesus. It's really, really insane. But I think you have to know 
you have to kind of know all the possible things that you can get from it, but also just kind of not think it's a failure if you don't get any of those things mm-hmm. because really it's just about performing for an audience. And I've got audiences up there who come and see me every year and I, I love them and I want to bring them something else to watch. And it's a, you know, that's all the difficult stuff. The beauty of it is you get to perform a show every day and it's just wonderful and you get it's to see all these shows. It. Yeah. yeah, it's really special. Big question. It's one of the two I ask my guests on the episode at the end of the episode. Where do you see yourself in ten years' time? Where would I like to see? Or where myself? would you? Where would you like to see yourself? Where do you want to? Okay. What do you want to be doing? Ready? Go. Here's what I'm going to be doing in ten years' time. <laughs> I am going to have a sitcom on Netflix, or maybe it's a drama comedy. I'm going to have a Netflix special of stand-up. Stacy Solo, my show, is going to be made into a film, um, and it's going to be world famous. Uh, I'm also going to have a huge business where I go around doing, go doing like a, a improv and comedy stuff with companies, and I host a lot of big events. I'm also going to write a book of short stories. Uh, maybe be working on my novel. Uh, be very happily in love with my partner still um maybe have like a baby but, oh wow but but like have my mum there to be looking after it so i don't have to do that <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um also have like traveled to johannesburg and a bunch of places uh, that's where i was born sorry just not oh, <laughs> so just like very really, specific it was really specific otherwise <laughs> i thought i should uh, make that clear and also have a musical uh yeah have a musical on like west end or broadway or something Bam. And there's a good chance I'll put some dramatic music underneath that. <laughs> Gotta dream big, you know. Gotta do that visualizing. <laughs> One of those things would be amazing. But I love I, I'm it. gonna have all of them. It's a big old question. You answered it in a big, bold, lovely way. Um, <laughs> so what advice the last question before we go, what what advice would you give to someone who wants to do what you're doing, which you can't really put an exact label on, but your comedy life, what advice would you give? Get out there and start failing. Because failure is so important. It's like the best thing that will ever happen to you. Because you can't get better unless you start failing. You learn from getting it wrong and then you get it a bit more right and then you get it a bit more right and then you keep getting it more and more and more right and then maybe you fail again. But you, if you don't ever get out there and take those chances, then you won't ever get closer to whatever this kind of slightly intangible idea mm-hmm. is of what that dream is. Mm-hmm. I think... We have to rebrand failure. It's like you were saying about, oh my God, the worst thing in the world is imagining doing stand-up. I think it's most people's biggest fears because we're we're trained to be, as we get older, to be kind of, you know, like humans who can handle ourselves. And it's, (laughs) it's awful, this idea of being humiliated. But I think we need to become more okay with humiliation and embarrassment because it only makes you get stronger and fight harder. I love that. I'm gonna leave it there. Although, actually, what we didn't touch on, if I say the words George Clooney to you... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Tell us about George Clooney. That excites me. he's really nice. (laughs) He's a funny, funny man. How how did you meet George Clooney? (laughs) Well, I was hosting a really big conference called the Nordic Business Forum this year uh, alongside a man called Pep Rosenfeld, who's one of the founders of Boom Chicago. And we were... Yeah, it's basically this 8,000 
people conference in Finland where people fly from all over the world. They have like huge speakers who come and do it. And he, George Clooney was one of the guests there. And so, yeah, got to. That's amazing. Introduce him. Yeah. And, and you met him. him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. a big audience to speak to. And they're all probably listening very well as well if they've <laughs> come all that way for that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They were. He was so nice because he made such a point of, you know, shaking my hand when I was introducing him to the stage and it's a it's a little thing but like not everybody does that and it's it's something I sometimes people forget because they're nervous about doing their speech but I I really appreciate when people do because it's just like this little sign of respect Mm -hmm. and even I was I think I was like all the way over the other side of the stage when he was exiting and he still made a point of coming towards me to shake my hand to do it and I felt oh. really seen and and validated yeah yeah not that I needed to be validated <laughs> we <George> all do <laughs> in some little way but yeah it was lovely That's and he really was really nice. he was really nice he like chatted to everyone backstage and it was really funny oh, it's nice when you hear about someone who he always has that like very nice image of themselves but actually mm. is that yeah very nice Tama thank you so much if people want to check out your stuff keep in touch with you how do they do so my name is Tama Broadbent Tama is spelled T-A-M-A-R nobody can ever find it because it's such a like unusual name but it's Tama Broadbent I'm on Instagram Twitter Facebook and my website is mynameistama.com lovely thank you so much and good luck with your next project at the fringe if <laughs> you if you, you end too. up there thanks. thank you so much Tama thanks for having me thanks for listening to Mr. Winters let's go yay, yay. <laughs> <laughs>